Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. Uh, today's show, we are going to be talking about the recent World Superbike Round in uh, Phillip Island. And with me today are... Steve English, and you can follow me on Twitter at Steve English GP. Uh, and listen to you on the live World Superbikes commentary, uh, of course, as well, which uh, congratulations with the, uh, with the new job. Um, and... Neil Morrison. You can find me on Twitter at NeilMorrison87. And finally... Tony Goldsmith of Asphalt and Rubber. And you can follow me on Twitter and at TonyGoldsmithGP. Right. Well, before we get started, um, if you are listening to us on uh, uh, on iTunes, please leave us a rating. Um, it's really important. It helps uh, raise the profile of the podcast and helps more uh, listeners find us. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paddockpasspodcast and Twitter at paddockpasspod. Um, right. So let's get started. First of all, it was quite a tidy little opening to the World Series. Superbike season, I reckon we had two cracking uh, World Superbike races and uh, and a pretty good um, World Supersport race as well. Uh, before we do start, David, I just wanted to yes. touch slightly on what you were saying there and congratulate Steve on his new job and the job he did out in Australia for the the live commentary feed for Dorna. But in particular. I'd just like to congratulate him on not swearing on live television, which for for Steve and a man with his F's and Jeff's, uh, I thought that was particularly impressive. So well done, Steve. Uh, it was a minor fucking miracle, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, Steve, I thought you did a great job and, and congratulations uh, uh, on the, the new the, that step in your career. Cheers, Don. It was it was a really good weekend actually to start on because we did get three great races, but uh, and that makes it an awful lot easier whenever you're trying to transition to something new. But uh, it was definitely a, a challenge and something something really different to anything that I'd done before, and that's where it, it was actually quite useful as well. That Neil was over in Philip Island, so at least there's you know a couple of familiar faces from the GP paddock as well. That just makes it a little bit easier to transition into. But uh, like the Dorna team is actually really nice. They're all friendly and that uh, definitely makes it an awful lot easier whenever you have to, you know, we're going to be working together 14 weeks a year. So it makes it a lot easier whenever you're already you get on really well with with the rest of the team. Yeah, I mean, it's also uh, you had to start off with a completely new format as well. We switched from two races on the Sunday to uh, a race on a Saturday and, and Sunday. First of all, th- that was, you know, it's a massive change for, for everyone in the paddock. How did everyone react to it and how did you feel that that went for the riders and the teams and the fans? Well, I think it was it was definitely a big change for everyone and there's there's benefits to it and there's there's negatives as well. Like we saw some riders really improve their performance from Saturday to Sunday and then we also saw some riders that struggled in the past for the second race were very strong on uh, on the Sunday. Like if you look at Giuliano, in the past he struggled for fitness and uh, you'd see him fade a lot in the afternoon race whereas now he's got 24 hours to recover and he got a podium in race two. So I think it, it it there's there's definitely a lot of benefits from it, and it does make things a little bit uh, a little bit uh, easier for some riders. And and uh, you know I think if if you're able to get your base setting locked in early in the weekend, 
it means that uh, you're in a really good position for Saturday's race. If you're struggling with setup, you could be nowhere on Saturday's race and then suddenly you've got the data and you're ready for Sunday's race. So there's going to be some times where you see teams that are just uh, just have everything ready early in the weekend will get a big advantage. And that's that's something that uh, Leon Camier talked about right from the start with having the Saturday race is that uh, you know the I think a lot of people look at it, the rich get richer insofar as if you've got a good base setting, you're going to be strong in more of the races. And I think that's, that's something that... Uh, is going to force teams to change how they actually operate over a weekend. You need to make sure that on Friday you've got a top 10 time to get into Super Bowl, so you need to set fast times, and you also need to be able to already work on your on your race settings. So that's where you know guys like Chaz Davis that last year found a good base setting with the Ducati, it really helps them to be able to hit the ground running on Saturday's race one. Same with Jonathan Ray and the Kawasaki team. Uh, from your perspective, Neil, how did you? Because you were sitting there in the uh, uh, in the press room, and obviously you've been to uh, plenty of World Superbike races before. How did, how was it for you? Yeah, I quite enjoyed it actually. Um, I thought uh, the structure worked quite well. Um, I thought part of that was down to the fact that there was a full Australian uh, national superbike program on during the weekend as well. So uh, on the Saturday and Sunday, we also had Australian superbike and supersport races to complement the the world superbike program. Um, so that helped basically fill out the day on uh, on Sunday because we had, uh, I think we had two or three uh, national races before the before the world supersport race kicked off. Um, and yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think at the end of Saturday, it just meant basically that, you know, you, I think one or two people were were complaining of Saturday morning being one of the big disadvantages because basically now, last year you had um, 45 minutes for FP3 on Saturday morning. Then you had, I think, another half hour for FP4 before Super Bowl. This year, basically, FP3 is cut down to 15 minutes. So riders basically have Friday afternoon to get everything ready. Then if they have to make a big change, they've only got 15 minutes on the Saturday morning to get that right, which, you know, is quite uh, quite a short window to do that. And it, it basically like hark, harks back to what Steve was saying there. You know, the guys that, that have their kind of bikes fixed with a good base, um, you know, are going to be in such a great position. Whereas, you know, riders that are basically having to throw the kitchen sink overnight at any setup changes, um, you know, are going to be at quite a big disadvantage. And it's going to really increase the, the, the amount of risk you take with a, a drastic setup change quite a lot. Um, but no, I quite liked it. I quite liked, you know, we went through Super Bowl very fast and then there was a race at the end of that day. Yeah, and I thought it, I thought it worked worked quite well. It obviously helped that there were two really fantastic races. Yeah, and I think uh, as well, this it, that weekend we saw it, there was 61,000 people showed up over the weekend. And then... Um, you know, you if you if you happen to switch on on Saturday and you saw the first race, it would have given you an incentive to turn up at Phillip Island for the Sunday as well. So there could have been a bit of a bump just in terms of people just turning up on the gate looking for tickets as well. So just being able to have good racing on the Saturday meant that uh, you were then able just to hopefully draw in a bigger crowd on the Sunday. And I know it's something that uh, some of the some of the paddock journals were actually talking about where they said, you know, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to put in a sprint race on uh, on the Saturday where maybe there's only the top 10 get points. And it just means that everyone's fighting a bit harder to make sure that they've got, you know, those valuable points on the Saturday and they race a little bit harder. And uh, it's just a way to draw people in for the, the Sunday. But obviously enough, Superbike's, for an awful lot of people, the ethos of it is two races on a Sunday. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly how traditional fans react to this. Because 
at the end of the day, there's an awful lot of fans that would have sat there on a Sunday and watched from 10 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon to watch the races. Whereas it'll be interesting to see if there'll actually be more fans watching now just because they don't have to invest quite that much time in a single sitting on a Sunday. Yeah, it was interesting for me because I was actually uh, on holiday with my parents um, uh, at the time. And so we were sitting down uh, uh, sort of on the evening, on Saturday and Sunday evening, and we all sat around and watched, you know, a single race uh, and then got on uh, and and sort of did the rest of it. So it was... uh, they really enjoyed it. They don't watch a lot of superbike racing, but they said they really enjoyed it. Um, so it's certainly for, if you like, for a more casual fan, it was a lot. E- it was a lot easier. And again, because you know you're on holiday, so you can't sit down and watch uh, 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 or, or get up at the crack of dawn and watch watch three races in a row. Uh, for me, that works really well, and I could sort of see what Donna were, go, were 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 doing. Uh, you, Tony, you were at home as well. Um, how did you feel? You did. Were you getting up at whatever horrific time it was at the morning to uh, no 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 very sensible man but uh watching it watching it afterwards uh yeah i'd recorded um saturday's race and uh watched that on saturday i had to had to book a little bit of television time off claire so i could sit down and watch the race because i couldn't pick my phone up until i had done because uh obviously there was about 600 whatsapp messages from you guys who had been sat there watching it so uh, I had to get to, to get to what, and of course, I didn't want. I can't go online and until I'd watched it, uh, if if I wanted to see, actually see the race properly. So, uh, so you were you you were a digital orphan for a few hours. Yes, yes, I was. Yes, it was like a throwback to the eighties, uh, where there was no <laughs> such thing as the internet. Uh, but um, see, I don't think page three sixty tone though. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, I, for I suppose for us living in Europe, David, the the full impact of of the races over two days won't we won't feel that until they get back into Europe, um, and, and that'd be the same for a lot of people who perhaps wouldn't get up at in in the, in the middle of the night to watch it and have re- have recorded it. But when it when we get into Europe and uh, and the racing is on all different days and you might see uh, you might feel differently then i don't know yeah because i think the key thing that we're going to see is if we go to donnington park if we go to hereth are we going to have more people through the gates because uh that that's why they changed it you know and, and that's where as neil said having the australian superbike championship having it as a full race weekend schedule actually really helped donnington's made a big effort to try and make sure that we've got lots of racing through the weekend as well so hopefully that will draw an awful lot of people into into watch the races yeah that this is something that uh um neil and myself we were talking to um paul denning yes that's the one thank you very much we were talking to paul denning at the yamaha launch and that's exactly what he was saying that uh, that they've done an awful lot of work on uh, uh on actually trying to make a more of an entertainment uh for, for, for the entire weekend so uh yeah it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they feel that but i think if you've just got no one's going to go uh, you know to a world superbike weekend if there's just you know one world superbike race on saturday uh, and a super sport and a superbike race on on a sunday you need, they need an awful lot more action but um, uh, yeah it seems to work okay the first time yeah because I know when you talk to some people they do say that uh, losing the, the race on Sunday means that the Sunday is devalued but it also means that you could make a, a case in point to say do you know what I'll actually go for the full weekend I'll take you know 
the sun the Saturday night and I'll just go to the venue and I'll make you know I'll stay in a hotel and make a full weekend of it. So there's pros and cons with it, and it's just going to be interesting to see exactly where fans fall on it. But from Phillip Island, at least it it, it seemed to work quite well. There was a good positive response from teams, riders, and uh, some of the fans that I talked to. So you know. We'll wait and see what actually comes about whenever we get back to Europe. As Tony said, that's whenever we're back onto a proper schedule. And fans will always turn up at Phillip Island. You know, every, like Australian bike fans do turn out in big numbers. So it's once we get back to Assen, whether or not the Van der Mark fans will make as big an effort this year as they did last year. When we get to, as I said, Donington, whether or not the British fans will actually be out in force. And uh, Spain's always been a bit of a tricky market. So, you know, we go to Aragon for round three and we'll be able to see how that crowd compares to, to last year as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, for speaking of, of Assen, the, the Van der Mark factor, uh, two podiums uh, in, in two races, that's going to be that's going to be a really big help. So let's get into the races. Uh, uh, first of all, well, Johnny Ray starts off as he left off uh, last year really with a double at Philip Island I think he's never won before at Philip Island is that correct? No he won there he once won last year, year. Yeah, yeah yeah right yeah. okay but he's never he's never been that strong at uh, uh, at Philip Island so really and he never it, to me looking just as a spectator he never really looked to be in trouble during those races was was that the impression that you got? Well I think um, in, in those races we saw again what we saw last year with Jonathan he's able to get himself into the right position to win races and uh, even in that race we saw again the same strengths of the Kawasaki in the second race you know Chaz Davis made a great exit from the last corner on the last lap and was still passed in a straight line by the Kawasaki so we're able to see that the Kawasaki is still the strongest engine in the field it's still got the highest top end but he definitely had to work harder in this in this year's races uh, than what I think some people expected to see. Like last year, himself and Leon Haslam had really close fights, and uh, you know there was only a tenth between them at the flag in both races. But this year, you know we saw him have to drive around the outside of Davis on the last lap into the pen- penultimate corner to try and take the win in race two. You know, last lap he makes his move on on Davis into turn one, and then you know he's able to hold him off. Chaz crashes, and they. Uh, Johnny Ray takes the win but it was it was two really good races but Phillip Island's a track that suits an awful lot of bikes that promotes close racing so it's only really this weekend whenever we go to Thailand that we're actually going to be able to see where everyone actually is because that's a track where the Ducati struggled really badly on last year the Honda wasn't uh, competitive Ray was just up against uh, Haslam again for the win and uh, he took two wins so if this weekend Ray takes another couple of wins that's where we start to see the momentum shifting really really towards him whereas if uh, Davis is able to get in there and, and really fight for the win that's where we'll see um, you know positive signs that this year is going to be a bit different to last year uh, Neil uh, you were at the launch of the Kawasaki launch in Barcelona earlier this year and there was a certain amount of sort of needle between uh, Sykes and uh, and Ray uh, Johnny Ray saying that uh, you know he felt the bike had been designed around uh, much more for Sykes than for him and yet when they actually get to the track it turns out that it was it's Johnny Ray who's managing the managing the race and uh, it's Tom Sykes who you know as usual, up at the front uh, uh, early on, and then struggling as the as as the race goes on. So, what was what was your impression of, of the Kawasaki's? Yeah, I think it was um, it was Johnny 
Jonathan basically um, playing his preseason game to perfection. Um, he kept his powder dry to a large extent in the test in Jerez at the end of January, and he never really was pushing for an absolute lap time in the two-day test at the start of the of the um, of the race weekend or of, of the week. Sorry, of the of the race. Um, he yeah, there was a, I think he said to us on, on one of the evenings of the test that uh, he had an opportunity uh, the final five minutes of the session to put in a new tire and go out and you know try and set a lap time and he just said to his crew now nah, guys like just let's let's not do that let's not focus on the lap time and he was basically just uh, he was content just to make his his way through um, his testing program uh, to ensure that you know he arrived at the first race in ideal shape for you know. 30 laps or however however long the race was, 22 laps it might have been, um, you know, rather than just that one lap speed. Um, I think I think uh, Thailand will be a more interesting gauge of, of where Sykes is because Sykes, you know, traditionally hasn't gone that well at Phillip Island in the past. Uh, I think he's maybe only had one podium there before um, and he was, you know, kind of quite keen to point out at the end of Sunday um, that even in his championship year I think he scored two fifth places at Phillip Island so it's a place that never really suits him so well you know because of his point and squirt style you know Phillip Island's all about letting it flow and you know it is pretty much designed for race style of riding um, so yeah so I just think, you know, Tom was so bullish um, in the lead up to the start of the season, um, especially at the team launch, you know, him and, and his crew chief as well, uh, Marcel Dwinkner, you know, they were really, you know, fighting words, you know, they weren't mincing the words at all. And they were really quite keen to emphasize just uh, just how good a shape they were in. Um, so, you know, it must be, if, if they go to Thailand, for example, and Jonathan does, you know, what he did last year and clears off for both races, I'm just wondering how that would affect Tom mentally because he's built himself up so much and he's, made himself come across so confidently um, that, you know, anything other than challenging Jonathan could be a massive uh, a massive setback to him. Yeah, and I think as well, Phillip Island, we were all waiting to see exactly how Tom's tyre would last because obviously last year, one of the big talking points was at two-thirds distance, the tyre dropped and suddenly Tom wasn't as fast as he needed to be to be able to compete with Ray. Whereas in Phillip Island, what we saw was he made uh, you know a couple of mistakes in race one, a mistake in race two at turn four, and um, guys got past him, but uh, he he didn't get dropped. You know, he was still able to set the same lap times. He just wasn't able to make a move to get past on people. So it looked like he actually still had decent tire performance at the end of the race, which, you know, that's that's the big thing that we need to see from him this weekend, especially we need to see that at two thirds distance, he's still able to have the tire to go with Ray, go with Davis, go with whoever's at the front and uh, just prove that uh, you know he's found that from last year because that's the only thing that's that's missing with Sykes he needs to be able to show that over a, a full race that he's able to to go with these guys again because we saw in his championship years he can be exceptionally dominant but now with extra competition at the front he needs to be able to show that he's found that bit that he was lacking last year the i mean obviously the kawasaki certainly in, in as jonathan ray had a uh, had a good weekend the ducatis didn't do too badly either uh both davies and giuliano on the podium and uh davies you know basically throwing it away in a, in an attempt to get onto the podium again does it look like that did you get the impression that that the Chaz, Chaz can be this competitive all this week? And also, Giuliano obviously had a massive uh, injury last year, and uh, it's uh, Giuliano had a massive injury last year. Um, do you think, do, Steve? Do you think um, 
the Ducatis can be a factor? Yeah, well, Giuliano last year, obviously he had his big crash in Phillip Island, then he had his big crash in Laguna as well, and it was just, it was a horrendous year for him, but through testing, he seemed really different this year it was it was it was a big thing for him just to do his miles and understand exactly what he needed to do on the bike we saw him at the the two-day test down in PI as well just focus on just setting lap times not a case of setting fast times just getting the miles and I think after the first day he said to Neil you know it was just really good to to not crash and get through the uh, get through the test, and then you know he got to the race week, and I think everyone expected to see at the end of the race that Davide would fall back because that's what we've always seen. But his he set the fastest lap of uh, race one on the last lap, and then on the last lap of race two, he dived down the inside of Nicky Hayden. So he was it was pretty clear he still had uh, a lot of performance left in his bike. I think Davis looks like he's still got an edge on him, and uh, I'd be very surprised if over the course of the full season that uh, Davis isn't the title contender from Ducati. But uh, definitely the first round, you know, Giuliano made a big statement and uh, showed how strong he could be. But I think uh, Davis, he had the pace to win race one. He got to the front in race two and he he just couldn't hold off Ray. But, um, you know, the crash that he had, you know, it's, it's one of those ones where it's very easy to say, you know, you should just take your points, take your podiums. It wouldn't have been the end of the world to leave Phillip Island 10 points behind Johnny Ray. But I think it was important for Davis just to show that uh, if there's an opportunity, he's going to try and take it. And it, it was it was an unfortunate crash for him. Uh, but I think even just jumping back onto the bike, getting it going and still getting six points yeah. showed an awful lot about what he's actually going to do this year. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, it looked like he was, uh, uh, it, I mean, it just looked like ambition and hunger. Like, you know, he was saying, also trying to make a statement to, to, to Ray to let him know that, you know, I'm not going to let you run away with this if if I can. Neil, what were, what were your impressions of the Ducatis? Yeah, I was, uh, was, was, quite, was quite impressed by both of them. Um, as Giuliano, uh, first of all, um, I think in the first race, he, you know, it was very impressive that he was able to set his fastest time on the final lap. But if you look at throughout that race, there were a lot of aggressive moves being made. And it, at some points, it almost looked as though it was going to be a crash waiting to happen. And, you know, fair play, like fair play, he did stay on and he did, you know, have a really strong end of the race. I thought in the second race, he just channeled that aggression really, you know, quite a lot better. Um, you know, he was able to kind of, you know, just stay in line and not get too caught up in bashing fairings and pushing people out wide and everything. And, you know, when he had to make that move on Hayden, he, you know, he did it really well. Um, Coming around the final two lefts in the in the second race, um, so that's that's you know that's good to see um, Giuliano up there because he is a nice guy and you know I think you know the talent's always been there you know it's just kind of some sometimes the approach maybe and um, has been lacking um, but uh, I also think you know Chaz will probably well will definitely be disappointed with how the second race ended but I think it bodes very well um, for the championship as a whole um, that that he did try to do that that he did try to make that pass um, and basically you know he had to throw the kitchen sink at, at that Ducati overnight on Friday he really wasn't happy at all with uh, with his consistency with his speed um, sorry in fact he was happy with the consistency he just said that his lap times were far too slow and he was going to have to make a big change overnight um, but he said that basically he knew exactly what he identified exactly what was wrong with the machine. Uh, came out on Saturday morning, FP3. He was really consistent. I think he was maybe second or third fastest. He had a, he made some more changes for Super Bowl, which didn't work. Then he went back to his FP3 setting for the first race, and it was you know it was really strong. And yeah, he basically 
he was trying to make his mark. It didn't quite work. But uh, but yeah, he definitely he let Jonathan Ray know that he's going to be there this year and that he's not going to be taking second place uh, lightly. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it was definitely a case of we got a clear indication of what we can expect from the two Ducati riders this year. And it, it was it was funny, actually, because me and Neil went out during the test and we were looking at the riders. And the first thing we said, actually, when we saw Giuliano was this is the year where he has to show that if the bike is only capable of finishing fourth, you take fourth place. And we actually saw in the two races that uh, he didn't override the bike. He didn't uh, he didn't try and do anything too aggressive with it. And he just took the points that were on offer. And yeah, he made his move on Hayden on the last lap, but he didn't really look uh, loose in, in race two compared to what we've seen him like in the past. Tony, what was your impression of the Ducatis? The season kind of uh, started this year where it ended off last year, didn't it? With um, Jonathan was obviously extremely fast as we would expect him to, but... Um, Chaz Davies was up there as well, uh, as he had been in the second half of last season. But I think it's difficult to draw too many conclusions uh, from Phillip Island. Uh, it's, it obviously was a fantastic race, and we had the Hondas, both Hondas, running towards the front, uh, particularly in the second race. Nicky seemed to, was it a tyre problems? Uh, the the reporting were, was a tire problem. Yeah, well, there were. Uh, yeah, his his front tire was excessively worn, um, and I think Nicky was being slightly diplomatic when I asked him about it on Sunday. Uh, but he said there was he wasn't sure exactly because he changed the setup quite a lot from from Saturday to Sunday, and he said it could have been something with the way he was riding. He said he was basically riding conservatively on the rear tire. He was expecting the rear tire to be the one that that uh, that he had to worry about. He wasn't focusing on the front at all. So he said he approached the way he was riding the second race quite differently in terms of his style also his setup is quite different but there was excessive front tire wear but uh, he wasn't sure whether that was because of the tire or because of his riding style or because of his setup basically yeah it's good that we talk about uh, that we switched to Honda but before we get to talk about that um, I spoke to uh, team boss Ronald Tencarta um, uh, here in Holland uh, a couple of weeks before the season started uh, and he told us about the preparations and how he felt the season was going Um, so here's Ronald Tencarta I'm here at Tencarta Motorum, the uh, motorcycle business run by uh, Ronald and Gerrit Tencarta, the owners of the Tencarta Racing Team, uh, World Superbike Champions, World Supersport Champions, uh, one of the great teams in um, World Superbike Racing. Uh, here with Ronald to talk about the 2016 season. Uh, you've got re- two really, really strong riders this year uh, with Michael van der Mark, who had a really strong first year in, 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 World, in World Superbikes last year and obviously was World Supersport champion the year before. Uh, and you've got Nicky Hayden coming, uh, joining as well, who seems to be getting up to speed really, really quickly. You must be fairly optimistic about your chances in 2016. Yeah, well, with regards to, to the rider lineup, but uh, yeah, I think uh, one of the best we, we've ever had and maybe it is the best we've ever had. In uh, fact, it is, like you said, uh, the young gun uh, Michael, who has done a, a perfect season almost in his first year. Um, really, I think, a rook- rookie of the of the year. Um, and with Nicky coming, coming to the team, yeah, that was probably the biggest surprise of the of the paddock. So really happy with that. He's bringing a lot of speed. The transition from MotoGP to World Superbike is going quite smoothly. Um, still, there's a bit more to come. So I think with the riders, I think they can push each other for um, better results. The way they work together in uh, the garage is already good. They have a close look at each other's data. I don't have to build a wall in my garage, so I'm always happy with, with that. To see there's a bit of a connection between the riders. Um, 
so yeah, on that front, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to the start of the season. Can't wait. Uh, the, uh, I mean. Nicky, I mean Nicky, Nicky has come as a. I know him as a really, really hard worker, always working. Um, also, he's done a lot of work on bikes. He has a lot of experience. How does that work for you uh, in World Superbikes? Well, we, we all knew, of course, the story that Nicky was putting in always the most laps and any working, working, working. And um, but at some point you just think, okay, that's maybe also just a story. But it's it's not just a story; it's more than a story. It is what Nick Nicky is. He puts in always. He wants to go the extra mile, so to say. Um, as as a fact, he just, we had to skip lunch a couple of times for the for the boys because. <laughs> Nicky just wanted to keep going and going. Uh, he uses the full length of the of the day, and um, so until the, the the very last lap of the of the of the day, he's still working. Um, he is not the easiest to please, as in he has his stands very very high, and he wants to constantly improve the bike. It is not very easy to uh, sat satisfy him, but uh, in a way, we're happy with that that as well. Because it, um, yeah, it keeps us doing our um, our best, our ultimate, and um, yeah, so I'm really happy with him. It's it's a different rider uh, again. We have seen this in the past as well when Carlos Jacker came to the to the team. It was somehow the same transition we have seen with him. So yeah, good. And um, what are your expectations of Michael? I mean, Michael had a really uh, he was all, he was up to speed fairly quickly because he had a really strong result even in Thailand last year, uh, and he looked to be you know capable of, of uh, maybe uh, getting on the po or getting close to the podium uh, several times. What do you expect this year? Um, well, last year he was definitely doing a great great job. We had some issues with uh, machinery, especially on this side of the garage. We had a few DNFs. Um, which should not have been. Um, so I'm really hoping that, that the package, or I'm, I'm convinced that the package is better actually this this uh, this year. And he has made a step himself as well as a rider. So I see him as uh, continuously uh, being in the top five or top six. And uh, for sure he's going to be on the, on the podium a couple of times as well. Um, so yeah, he's going to make another step again. He is still young. He is still uh, to uh, learn. Um, the bigger bike is not so easy to handle as a super sport bike. That's clear. Um, but I think he's got a great future ahead of him. Uh, where do you see that? Uh, I mean, what have your two riders got still got to learn? Where can you see that, that they that they need to make a step forward? Um, well, if I look to Nicky, that just transitioned from um, a MotoGP bike where he's ridden so so long, uh, including the the um, tires he was uh, he was on. Definitely, the the Pirelli is just a, a different tire. It's a lot uh, softer. It's a lot more uh, movement. It's a uh, it, it squashes quite a bit during during braking, so that uh, needs adjustment to, for Nicky to, to find where the limit is. So there will just be a little bit of time. Uh, for Mikey, he's just young and he has to grow into stuff and learn um, how to dose himself in the correct way, uh, when to push to the limit, when to back off a bit. But that's a normal uh, thing for a young rider. We've always uh, enjoyed working with young riders as well. It's just nice to, to see and if you can bring them to the next next level. And I think for Michael, one of of the biggest blessings this year is that he's got Nicky next to him, which is uh, not only a, a, um, um, a very experienced rider, but also just a very, very fast rider. So he's going to bring him to the next level again, for sure. Uh, how important is it to have a, a 
two teammates who can work together. I mean, it, it, it can also work the other way where you have two very, a very strong rivalry in the garage where the two are pushing each other, uh, are pushing each other on. In, in the end of the day, um, rule number one in racing is you have to beat your teammate. And no matter how friendly they are against each other, when the helmet's on and the visor goes, goes down, that's what they want to do. Um, but in the end of the day, it's also nice if, if the, the riders just, if you can share data, if you can share information and then the right information about a tire. I mean, if sometimes by coincidence, because of weather conditions you had, that you couldn't do, have both riders doing a long run on all the tires, but one had to test one tire, one had to test the other. And then when false information is coming, because that's what's happening sometimes between riders when there's rivalry around, then it's just not helping a team to push, push forward. At least I need to respect be between the riders. Um, I'm more than a happy man if they can be friendly with each, with each other. Um, and that's what's happening on the moment. And that's working just a lot better for, for the team in general, but also for the rider as an individual again in the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you also talked about the package. Uh, we're still waiting for the the, 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 the new update of the, of the Fireblade or the new Honda, which is going to come. We can't really say anything about that uh, at the moment. But you said that you've... You've got a few updates on the uh, on the bike this year. What what's changed and where do you expect expect the improvement to come from? Well, there's uh, there's new uh, Olin's forks for the machine, which are quite a bit uh, lighter than the last year model, and they seem to be working uh, very good for us. And that, that's uh, uh, quite a step forward. Then on uh, the electronics front, um, it seems you know sometimes you make development on bike, you do a bit on chassis, you do a bit on engine, do on the electronics. New stuff, new stuff coming, but never a step forward. You're like you're stuck in the mud almost. This year for. A lot of reasons for our, a, the capabilities of, of, of our guys here internally who've made the good decisions is that everything seems to be working now. Just all developments are really a, a small step forward, but at least we're moving forward. Riders can feel it, it's noticeable, not just by rider feeling, but also by stopwatch. And in the end of the day, we want to go around as quick as possible. And uh, bringing new stuff to a track is always nice and riders get always a feeling with it. But in the end of the day, you got to go faster with it. And this year from all new stuff what we brought uh, has made us to go faster. And um, that's quite different from last year. Um, how do you feel about the technical regu where the technical regulations of the World Superbike are at the moment? I mean, this they've been in flux for a little a little while. They seem to be settling down a little bit. Is is World Superbikes going in the in the right direction? Um, well, if we look back to uh, the rules, like we we had them in 2014. Uh, the field was quite close to each other. We had quite uh, different manufacturers who could win. Last year was a bit uh, boring, act actually. It, it just seemed that the rules were uh, panned out for uh, uh, for one man manufacturer. Um, hopefully this year the other manufacturers have um, stepped up, like we have done, uh, have adjusted better, and that it's more close again because we need. Um, different guys winning. We need different manufacturers winning. We don't need a boring show, um, and we need closer racing uh, again. Uh, also, it, I mean, one of the things which Nikki brings to the race or to World Superbikes is uh, a, a bit of character. You also got Josh Brooks coming in, who's also you know uh, known for being plenty of character. Is this uh, also something that World Superbikes needs? Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, you can have fast guys, but when when they are really boring and then they don't have a big, huge fan crowd around them, that that does, doesn't help. We want to see 
guys who have interesting stuff to say, and like Nicky, for sure, he's a big, big character. Uh, in the past, we had uh, Max Biaggi coming. There's a lot of opinions about him, but one thing is for for, for sure, he was attracting a lot of fans to come to the to the race, uh, and a lot of following around him. So that's uh, that's good. So Nicky, for sure, is bring bringing that, and we could do even would do with more than that. Uh, also, the, the the other big change because Dorner are pushing through several changes to try and make the the the, the series more attractive. You've got two races, one on Saturday, one on uh, on Sunday. That's that's a big change as well. Yeah, that is uh, very very new. Um, I mean, one of the concepts of World Super Superbike was always two races on the day. So you come to race day, you don't get to see them once, but you get to see them twice actually. Um, <clears throat> so. Um, I was a bit surprised actually to, to see that they changed that, that format, but um, uh, honestly I want to give them a chance as well. I mean, I don't want to be opinionated too much now, we just want to see how things are going. We know a lot from Dorna and one thing where they are really good at is to do the promotion uh, around it and usually it's work, working well. Um, as, as a pure racing fan I still have to see how things are going because um, the first stuff what we hear here because we run the motorcycle dealership so we get a lot of fans in we just get to speak with us that there's not so many positives around in the moment but that might change again and um, so we'll have to see for our team Nicky was the first one to have an opinion about it and he said well actually for me it's good because I never uh, used to race two in a day so when things are changing when I'm new at least everybody is changing now so he was actually quite happy about it so yeah we have to see how it goes uh, does it make your job easier uh, as a team you know in case, especially with a one bike rule you know if someone trashed, uh, trashed the bike in, in race one then you had a lot of work to do yeah well but if you look to the schedule uh, which is there for Saturday then then it's quite challenging again if a rider goes down in the practice be before there's hardly any time to uh, to get the bike on the grid again so yeah I think that's something what we're going to find out during the season as well but we were just getting used to the format like like we had it with the one bike and the two two races everything covered on that end so yeah it just needs a uh, rescheduling again but yeah we're going to get it sorted uh, final word we've spoken about World Superbike you've also got an American racing for you PJ Jacobson in World Supersport uh, he had a pretty good year last year once he switched to the Honda well I mean can he beat Kanan Sofuoglu I mean uh, what are your expectations um, well he has shown already last year that he can beat him um, I think one of the interesting facts will be as well now in this year with the new rule. So the ECU much more standard, so no electronic helps in anymore. So no traction control, launch control on the bike anymore. And engine braking a lot uh, more standard. Um, so not trimmed for every single corner. Um, so that's going to be an effect as well. And actually we believe that it uh, might be beneficial for, for us because the Honda is such an uh, easy bike to uh, ride it doesn't need a lot of rider age um, so we'll have to see that definitely I believe that uh, PJ is up for the task because last year he could beat him with only half year on the bike now with um, that experience with him uh, some winter testing what we have done yeah for sure he's very eager to uh, go again thank you very much Ronald thank you perfect Obviously, interesting stuff from Ronald, always. Um, Honda, they, as Ronald said, he said basically, you know, they, uh, they they felt much more prepared going into this season for the, than they did uh, than they did last uh, last year. Last year they had a bit of a rough start. This year they had a much much better start with uh, uh, Van der Mark on the podium twice uh, and Nicky Hayden looking like he could get on the podium uh, or, or, or on or very close to the podium twice. Uh, how did we feel they were they they were doing? 
I think that it was a really positive first weekend for Honda. Obviously, we know that that bike is going to be competitive at Phillip Island. Van der Mark fought for the podium last year, led the race as well. But this year, it looks like they've actually made a big step forward with the bike. When you talk to guys in the team, they say that they've found somewhere in the region of about 10 horsepower. So they have made a big step forward in terms of the power as well, which should help them at other tracks. But I honestly think the biggest difference that they've made is hiring Nicky Hayden. And just having Nicky there to basically show everyone what it takes to be a world champion and what they need to do to be able to get the most out of themselves on a race weekend because like um neil when we talked to him at the hereth test before christmas the first thing he said was you know i'm an intense guy and the team need to understand that and when the the light is green at the end of pit lane we're here to work and he's brought that forward the whole way through the winter. And even in, in Phillip Island, we saw the team work an awful lot better together compared to what I think we would have seen if it was just any other rider on the grid. And uh, I think as well as that, we'll also see Van der Mark is able to learn from Hayden what it actually takes to be a MotoGP world champion. And that will bring him forward an awful lot in terms of his his own development. And we'll be able to see exactly how good Van der Mark can be because Everyone knows Nicky Hayden was the hardest worker in MotoGP and he's going to be the hardest worker in World Superbikes and it's up to Van der Mark to step up to the mark and show he's able to make the same commitment as well. And uh, Neil, I'm sure you, you saw something fairly similar whenever you were talking to, to Nicky over the course of this, uh, this this week as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Nicky was, um, you know, doing his usual, his routine of, uh, of you know, working strategically all the way up towards building himself up towards the weekend not getting too concerned with lap times through the test um through free practice and even in qualifying um and you know it was it was just fantastic to see nicky basically in the in the fight for a podium in the fight for race wins again because steve you and i were talking really on on sunday evening we were trying to work out the last time really nicky had uh had been fighting you know up at the sharp end right at the the front of a pack in, in moto gp and we're thinking maybe going back to 2008 maybe 2009 when he was back with uh, maybe his last year with Honda I think there was maybe one or two races where he was right at the front so it was just it was fantastic to to see him up there really um, but he was kind of keen to keen to emphasize at the end of Sunday that Phillip Island was quite a an exceptional track because a it suits the Honda you know it's kind of suited to its characteristics and also they had two days of testing to basically set the bike up for for that track and he thinks thailand will be a lot a, a truer test of you know it's of its full capabilities he thinks they'll they'll probably see where they're at thailand because they'll get there they'll basically have two hours on friday to get the bike set up to learn the track and then it's basically in the in the super pole on uh, on saturday and then the race it's it's funny what you said about uh, uh, Nicky's work uh, ethic, Steve, because uh, one of the things that Ronald Sankata said to me um, uh, when, when I spoke to him was basically, uh, you know, they were used to um, the guys were all knocking off, you know, half past uh, what was it, half past five at Aragon at the Aragon uh, uh, the Aragon test. They were all getting ready to to to, to knock off and all that. And he and Nicky was saying, no, no, we lost some time in the morning. He was pushing to have the the, the track stay open for an extra fifteen minutes. Um, I think they skipped lunch one day because uh, you know Nicky had more laps he wanted to do. There were more things he wanted to test. Uh, as you say, he really does bring that 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 intensity and that work ethic. And it's uh, I think it's definitely going to be positive for the team and positive for. Uh, and then it's just a question of waiting to see whether this um, uh, new updated motorcycle actually uh, materializes for 2017 or not to, to to be able to see whether these guys can actually win anything. One more, I think uh, we have to talk about Yamaha. 
Um, it's a really, I mean, brand new bike. Uh, it, it got raced a little bit in Superstock last year, but that's never the same as actually racing it in in World Superbike uh, uh, form. Um, how 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 do we think Yamaha actually did? I think it was a really good start for Yamaha on the first day. Gentoli was fastest. He qualified well himself, and Lowe's were both on the second row. I think uh, if they had a trouble-free race. I think they could have had top fives as well. Gintoli, the bike really suited him at Phillip Island. It needs a, a 250 kind of riding style and his Grand Prix background means that he's really good at carrying that corner speed and being able just to make the bike do an awful lot of work, use the momentum and that's where he got his big advantage from. For Lowe's, I think it's going to take him time just to adjust and adapt to the bike. He's been used to riding a Honda and BSB, a Suzuki and Worlds and just actually having to grab a bike by the scruff of the neck to get every last ounce out of it. Whereas with the Yamaha, you need to just be riding it with your fingertips and just being nice and easy, nice and smooth. But uh, from Friday to Saturday, we saw a big improvement from Lowe's, and um, he definitely looked like he was an awful lot more at ease with the bike. He was transitioning an awful lot smoother from one side to the other. He was just uh, an awful lot more fluid. And that's what he needs to do. And I think it's going to take him a little bit of time to adjust to that. But, uh, you know, we saw him in, in race two make a really, really good start. Get from uh, the second row up into fourth, I think, into Lukey. And then he had a technical problem. And uh, basically, I think he had no back break. And it just limited him then for the rest of the race. We couldn't really see his true potential. But I think overall, really strong weekend. Gintoli top six in both races and really looking uh, just comfortable I think it's going to take a bit of time to really understand how to race the bike because obviously just like what we saw in MotoGP the Yamaha needs to carry its corner speed which means it's very easy for another bike to get in your way during the race Neil yeah sorry it was uh, it was great to see both of the Yamahas up at the sharp end um, and as you say Steve to see Gintoli top in the timesheets on Friday was was quite a surprise just to see you know how far um you know how quick they were straight out of the box um i think you know the notable thing from from um from the Yamaha side of things is basically gintoli hasn't really had to change much in terms of the base setting from uh, Jerez to aragon to phillip island um you know three tracks that are quite different um and you know he says that basically you're just he's already at the stage where he's making like little fine adjustments here and there um which for you know a new bike is quite impressive um he also seems to be very confident with uh how the the bike manages the tires um he said you know the bike can be you know 20 laps in with a set of tires and you're still able to get that lap time um without too much too much effort so yeah i think it's a it's a very very strong start um both of those riders seem convinced that they can win races this year i think alex said in barcelona at the team launch that if they don't win a race this year he'll be extremely extremely disappointed and that just didn't sound like you know a racer you know talking himself up and talking his chances up it sounded like a guy who really believed that you know this bike is good enough to win right from the off um and yeah just i felt for alex a little bit uh, at the close of sunday because that's the third year in a row that he's gone to phillip island showed at some point that he has very good pace and you know excellent potential and you know the third year basically he's walked away with uh with not a great deal to show for it um you know and i think that um Alex conducted himself really well on Sunday. You could tell that uh, he was obviously very frustrated. Um, a few things had gone wrong. He had a big crash on Sunday morning in warm-up. Um, at turn 11, he, I think, missed a gear and uh, lost the front going into turn 11. 
the bike rolled over and destroyed itself pretty much. Um, so he had to use a spare bike, which had about two laps on it up until that point. And then there, because the bike, you know, really hadn't been bedded in as such, um, it had a lot of teething issues uh, through the race. And uh, the team were quick to commend him for basically, you know, riding home and getting some points where he could have just pulled in. Um, and then, you know, he was obviously clearly unhappy with uh, with how the weekend had gone, but he still came out and spoke to the press afterwards, you know, still made a point of saying that, you know, basically, you know, my season starts in Thailand. We can't focus on the negatives. We have to move forward and keep moving forward. And he really felt that he had made, basically, he backed up with what you said, Steve. You know, he felt that he had made really significant uh, improvements to his riding style from Friday to Saturday. Um, and he said, look, you know, like all these guys in my team, you know, have a lot more experience than I do. You know, I'm still relatively young at this, uh, you know, competing on the world stage thing. And, um, you know, he said he was willing to sit and listen, take it, take their advice on board and how he needed to change his style and adapt. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of positives in there for Alex, even if the results were, you know, not what he, not what he would have wished for. Yeah, and I think uh, even just for Yamaha as well, we saw just how they work with Crescent. Uh, and it seems like they've already adapted to working quite well with each other because I was talking to Paul Denning after the weekend and he said that uh, one of the key things was if Crescent were doing something wrong, the Yamaha guys would tell them that this is how we think it should be done. And if Yamaha were doing something that Crescent felt could be improved upon, the Crescent guys were able to talk to the Yamaha guys and say, no, this is the way that we think it should be done. And everyone was able to be objective about what was the best way of getting things uh, in order. And then they were just working together. So it it looks like it's a a good partnership already between the Yamaha and Crescent. And that's what, that's what it's going to come down to really, because whenever you take on um, basically running a manufacturer's entrant, you need to, you need to know that what you actually, do is valued and it's not just a case of we need someone to feel these bikes that you need to know that uh, they can understand the value of actually having crescent as that team as well and from talking to paul denning that's definitely something that they felt uh was the case in uh, in australia tony did you uh what did you think of the uh, uh of, of yamaha start it's good to see them back in world superbikes yeah i was just going to say that david it's a good boost for the championship um to see yamaha coming back in um Obviously, they didn't quite get the result that they'd hoped for over the weekend with the, the issues that Alex had, but Gintoli had two strong rides. And uh, having seen the way that the, the package developed in BSB last year with, with the Milwaukee team, you can imagine they're only going to go from strength to strength throughout the season. And at some point in the season, they're going to be challenging for wins. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the uh, of uh, of the Milwaukee team, I mean, uh, uh, to me, they're uh, they always have the best liveries in racing. Um, uh, the exact opposite of the Aprilia, I would uh, uh, I would say. Uh, Josh Brooks made a uh, well, it, things didn't quite go as smoothly as he might have wanted to, uh, during his transition, but it was it was a little bit complicated. Yeah, I think just being able to understand uh, how to use the electronics was the main issue for. Brooks and Milwaukee and again going back to that Hareth test um, that was the first time that Brooks had ridden a bike with electronics and when myself and Neil went down to talk to the team they said that uh, Carol Abraham coming from MotoGP was using an awful lot of electronics whereas Josh Brooks coming from BSB was using very little electronics and it's just a case of being able to understand how you can use those to get more performance out of the bike and for Brooks what he felt was the two-day test was was a, a real struggle. I think they they had uh, very little, very little, um, 
very little gained in the two day test because they couldn't uh, they couldn't uh, accelerate on the edge of the tire. Whereas in the race weekend, they made steps with that. And uh, I think from Saturday morning, Brooks felt that uh, they actually got the bike into a position where he was actually able to understand what to do with it. And I think uh, race one was the first time that he actually had real confidence in in th- in the throttle. That uh, however he opened it, he'd get that feedback from the bike. Whereas before that, I, I don't think he really felt that he had that right connection. And uh, then you know in both races we saw him actually perform quite well. And that's you know that's natural. It's a new project, a new bike for the team for Brooks. They have to get used to electronics. So there's definitely going to be uh, a lot of time for them to actually really understand what they have to do and and how to get more from it yeah absolutely i think it was very interesting to uh to listen to brooks on sunday night um basically he was explaining the reason for that improvement uh from from friday to saturday and he was saying that uh at the close of, of friday he was so frustrated with the lack of progress through the the two days of testing and the first day of free practice that he basically went to the the german engineers that are, are kind of in charge of the the electronics of that bike and said like listen guys you know i might as well go home you know, maybe including a couple of uh, extra expletives into that sentence as well. Um, you know, and he said, "Yeah, <laughs> I think he, I think he told them just that. Um, you know, that if we don't if we don't get anything soon, if we don't get any, you know, if I can't ride this bike like I want, there's just no point in us being here." And he said the next day, sure enough, um, I'm guessing the, uh, the 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 BMW technicians, you know, had a had a late night, and he said the next day instantly he found the second, and that was just um, through the kind of changes they'd made to the electronic setup. I think. Um, They'd been t- testing um, split throttle bodies uh, through the test, and he said basically he ditched them. Uh, I think from Saturday onwards, um, and he said he also turned like a lot of the the electronic influences, let's say, on the bike. He said down to like the most or to the the, the least intrusive um, settings that they could have. So, and he, and he said that basically um, from there he was able to you know get that kind of connection back with the throttle that he needed. Um, and yeah, it was it was positive. I mean, I think the second race his his uh, race time was ten seconds faster than than the Saturday race. Um, he narrowly missed out in the fight with uh, Ryderberger and Torres, also guys on on BMWs, but for the Altea team. Um, yeah, and I think you know it was good for him to see, you know finally some progress after what you know had been a couple of days of banging his head against the wall uh right one last question um i mean new season uh who was there any any surprises anyone who really uh, uh really impressed you from from the from from the middle of the field you know uh, torres uh reiterberger charvi forres uh steve you go first hmm I think for for me the most impressive guys were the guys at the front. To be honest, uh, Van der Mark's performance really impressed me. He was my rider of the weekend. Uh, down the field, there's there was good showings, but there was nothing that really stood out to me. Uh, I think uh, again, like I said, up at the front, Giuliano's performance that was impressive to be able to, you know, race one, set his fastest lap in the last lap, take the podium in race two. You know. Phillip Island's a funny track because it is one, and we see it every year in in MotoGP as well, that uh, gaps don't really grow. You know, um, a couple of tenths at Phillip Island is like a half a second at everywhere else. And that's why, you know, he ended up with six, seven guys in the lead lead fight for most of the race. And uh, whenever you get that kind of excitement at the front, it's it's hard to really look at the midfield and be overly impressed by... uh, by what's what's going on there but if i if i was picking someone from the midfield honestly josh brooks 
because I think uh, just the improvements that they made, like as Neil was saying, they 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 definitely made a lot of st- steps forward from Friday to Saturday and then to Sunday. And that's exactly what you'd expect from the Milwaukee team. Like uh, we saw time and time again last year, SMR, really well-run team in BSB. They just find the solution. And when you talk to Sean Muir, he said that uh, you know nothing, nothing really forces you into action quite like a race weekend. And they found their solutions because it's a race weekend and you have to find them. And, you know, as Neil said, like when, when Brooks went in to talk to the, uh, talk to the engineers at BMW, he, he, he said to them that, uh, you know, would it help if I'm coming in and I'm screaming and shouting at you guys? Will that make it clear just how important things are right now? And like, that's, yeah, I think everyone that, that knows Josh knows he doesn't tend to come in and, uh, throw a tantrum or anything like that but he was he he basically needed to make the bmw guys realize how he worked once they did then they found some of their solutions and uh, as neil said they went back from the split throttle bodies just to a standard uh setup but uh josh said by the end of the weekend he felt that he'd be ready now to go back to the split bodies so maybe in thailand they'll go to that and that'll give them a bit more performance as well neil who was it that impressed you at the superbike opener um i mean really anyone inside that top five or six was quite impressive you know for their own their own reasons you know jonathan in the kind of measured controlled approach that he took Chaz for matching that and you know trying to you know trying to ruffle jonathan's feathers i thought was impressive van der mark was just spectacular i still think he's probably the most spectacular superbike rider to watch in the world at the moment uh hayden for being up there you know um you know and his kind of return to the return to the class if it hadn't been for those front tire issues we, we would have been talking about nicky with two top five finishes at, at the very least um and also Gintoli, you know um debuting with uh debuting with the yamaha and getting two strong top six finishes but i think that, that you know the one that the rider that I least expected to be so impressive in the first race was uh, was Leon Camier, who finished, I think, seventh at the end of that race. Um, he had had a really, really, really difficult test um, on the Monday and Tuesday. Um, I think they gone, they went through several engines. I'm not sure quite how many exactly, but basically, yeah, they were just having terrible reliability issues. Um, and... He was having different issues with electronics, with chassis setup, and he just wasn't comfortable at all. Um, but he really, really got to understand just how well um, the chassis could be used. Um, he, on Saturday, I think, finished, uh, I'm not too sure just how far off the leaders it was, but, you know, it was it was fairly close. And he was quite adamant that uh, had he made a better start, um, he could have uh, he could have run with the front group, um, which, you know, Considering um, considering the, the spec of that MV, you know it's not uh, it's certainly not the fastest bike in the grid. Um, you know that that really was quite impressive. In fact, he was 17th. He made a terrible start, and he was 17th coming out of the first corner, 15th at the end of the first lap. So to get all the way back up to seventh and have a really strong race, which was very very consistent throughout, um, I think that was one of the best rides of the weekend actually. And it was just a shame that he wasn't able to back that up in in race two. Steve, you 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 were speaking to him at the end of Sunday. What what was it exactly that uh, put pay to his chances then? Um, I think uh, Leon just had a, a problem with the back of the bike, and he had to pit. And then he came back out and was able to, again, set some fast times. And yeah, really good shout. Uh, Camier was really impressive in that first race, just the way that he eased his way through the field. He was really, really impressive on that MV. And it's just, you know, that bike, it's got a good chassis. It, their main issue, the only issue really, is is just the engine. And they've got to find a way to get more power. But uh, definitely Camier really impressed as well. Yeah, that, that was a good shout, Neil. Tony, what about you? 
Yeah, I'd have to agree with what the guys were saying. And just to, to touch on uh, Camier, I think he's a, a rider who perhaps doesn't get as, as much credit as he deserves. And uh, he's obviously an ex-British champion. Uh, and he brought about the changes to the to the championship that we've got now with the uh, the showdown after he romped away with it that year. And I thought he did quite well when he came in into the open class in MotoGP. So perhaps a rider that doesn't get as much credit as he des- as he deserves in he's uh, kind of stuck with the with the MV which is not the most competitive bike on the grid but um I was also particularly impressed with van der mark as as Neil was saying he's a, he's a great rider to watch and from a personal point of view it was just great to see Nicky Hayden running at the sharp end of a race after a few years struggling at the back in there uh, on the uh, a pretty poor open class Honda. Yeah, because I think we'd all we'd all agree, like we all know Nicky from the GP paddock, and it was really different just seeing him, knowing that he was going into a weekend expecting to be able to fight for a podium and expecting to be able to be competitive, and you could see the the fire was back for Nicky, and we haven't seen that. Like obviously, David, you're in the paddock longer than any of the rest of us, but I think your first year was. 2000 and 2000 well yeah my, my first full year was 2009 which was Nicky's first year on the Ducati and um, uh, that was uh, again it was a tough year for him but he was still battling for podiums you know he was still capable of getting on the podium there, uh, then I think he got two podiums that year so but yeah it has been difficult watching him you know, get lower and lower and lower in the uh, uh, in in the in the pecking order as it, as it was. So yeah, that was again for me personally also just because Nick, you know, Nicky's a nice guy. Um, it, it was nice to actually see him see him be competitive uh, again. I mean, Jonathan Ray didn't look like he had any problems. He was having any problems at all. He just like he he was controlling that. Um, good to see, as you say, all the front guys. Vandermark absolutely looks most spectacular. If you want to see what commitment looks like on a racing motorcycle, you just watch Vandermark. Uh, but I was I was quite impressed by Marcus Reiterberger just from being you know he's coming from the IDM, which is uh, as a championship is a much uh, is a much lower level than uh, both the uh BSB and the and and the Spanish Superbike Championship the FIMCV uh, uh, championship so for him to come in and be that competitive uh, it shows you know there's 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 some real potential there that was that w- that was good to see but yeah just really enjoyed the whole thing yeah he's, he uh, he beat Brooks pretty much in a straight up fight in the second race which you know I know Brooks uh, you know is a little bit further behind in development um in terms of the in terms of his bike but uh, yeah that's a good shot David I thought Ryderberger had a really strong second race yeah, and the other thing is, I mean, you know, he's up against uh, he's up against Jordi Torres, and Jordi Torres is in there for his in his second season. Uh, uh, Torres you know, had a, had a pretty decent season last year. Um, uh, this year, uh, yeah, Reisenberger is is come is he's competitive with his teammate, which is where you start off. So yeah, that's that's good. Steve, was there anything you wanted to say? No. That, okay, that was right. a cover, Dave. Right, go on, <laughs> one, Tony. One burning question I have for for both of the guys for who went to Philip Island was the barista st- in the media centre <laughs> for 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 you chaps in uh, World Superbikes. No. no, Neil actually was the uh, designated tea boy for the entire media centre for the weekend. 
Yeah. So, of course, David, David, you haven't been to Phillip Island. Yet, I, I have haven't you? been to Phillip Island, so I don't know any, uh, about the barista. They have a, it, it, a lovely barista at the back of the media centre to make proper, proper fresh ground coffee for everybody. Ooh. Uh, now, you, you see, now you're tempting me to actually go there. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to go there at some point now. Yeah. I mean, apart from the fact that it's possibly the greatest racetrack on earth. Uh, but yes. apart yeah. from that, much more oh, importantly, oh, they've oh, actually got did, decent did you coffee. Hear that? Did you just hear that, Dave? What's that? Tony just agreed that Phillip Island is possibly the greatest racetrack <laughs> on earth. No mention of the TT course for him. Tony, I'm ashamed. I was, <laughs> that was in the, in the perspective of a short circuit racing, not, not in, the, in terms of proper racetracks. So I was I was acknowledging the fact that that's what he was referring to. It, 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 there was definitely an asterisk there, but it was inaudible, wasn't it? Yeah. It, was, uh, it, it was implied. It yeah. was it was implied short circuit racetracks, Steve that, English. That's such an impressive amount of backtracking. I think the earth has actually started to spin the other way. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, gentlemen, thank you uh, all very uh, thank you all very much. Uh, thank you all listeners for listening. Um, if you do listen to this on iTunes please make sure you leave a um, uh, you leave a review and you rate us so that other people can find us because our partner podcast uh, the, the Two Enthusiasts podcast run by Jensen Beeler uh, of Asphalt and Rubber is uh, apparently uh, leading the way they're beating us so we need our, we need you to uh, show them who's boss so uh, go out leave us a review on itunes if you would uh, and thank you very much right hello <laughs> hello welcome to the pissy pad see i can't, I can't even that. get that one right no right your hello your listenership and- is valued by us all hello and welcome <laughs> to the paddock pass podcast for chat on moto gp Press one for chat on World <laughs> Superbikes. Press two to listen to Neil rattle on and put you to sleep with the low bassy tones of a Northern Irish Protestant. Press three. <laughs> Stop pressing all the keys, David, for God's sake. <laughs> Do you know what, actually, I was telling Bradley Smith about David being the front man of a band and the bass player and singer, and do you know what he said to me? What's that? He was there, fucking David Emmett, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs>